0: all right you can see the text there on the screen and i'd invite you to turn to luke chapter five we're going to be looking at verses one to eleven this morning yeah if i could get an assist on the podium that'd be great thanks we are continuing in our study of luke's gospel and i'd like to read this passage for us as we begin luke five verses one to eleven One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "'Put out into deep water.' And let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, "Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets." And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. left everything, and followed him. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing story this is. Of not only a miraculous catch of fish, but of your call to the disciples to be fishers of men. And Father, I pray that as we walk through this text, it's familiar that you would speak to us afresh and new, and that we would hear your call to each of us too. In Jesus' name, amen. Deep in the heart of every fisherman is a longing to catch fish. And not just a few fish, but lots of fish. And big fish, or trophy fish even if you will. I was talking to Pastor Jason about this particular text that we're looking at this morning. He goes, how come you get those? I mean, this would have been a fun story for him to preach on and tell a fishing story. And I said, well, when you lay out the sermon series, then you'll know how to, you know, pick the dates and get the particular text. <laughs> no, it just came to this text today. When I think about fishermen, I think about how they will go to extreme lengths to catch fish. I mean, they will buy expensive equipment. They'll drive all night. They'll camp out. They will portage great distances with canoes to get back to that special spot where they're going to catch fish. And if you ask a fisherman, if they've got a story about a favorite fish or time they went fishing, you won't have to wait long to hear that story. my favorite day of fishing goes back to when I was in eighth grade around that time. Uh, One of my brother-in-laws had a cabin on Round Lake. Now, if you're thinking you can narrow down the location, there's 36 Round Lakes in Minnesota, so the secret's (laughs) still safe. (laughs) But on this particular occasion, it was during the summer, and I had invited a couple of my buddies to go and stay at the cabin out there, and we went fishing. And we were on Round Lake, and we were catching some bass and some northern and having a good time. And then my brother-in-law told me about this lake that is across the lake, over the hill, and down. And he said, it's a lake. It's kind of small, but it has no public access, and it is loaded with fish. Well, all you have to do is hear the words loaded with fish when you're a young guy, and you're thinking about, I could do that. I could do this. And so... That's what we did. On a beautiful summer day, we canoed across the other side of the lake, portaged over this trail about a quarter mile up and down, brought all our fishing gear with us, and we went in. And here was this beautiful, pristine lake. So clear you could see to the bottom. I mean, so clear that as we started to fish, you could see the fish going after the lure. And it was a lake that was loaded with northern pike. They weren't huge. They were small but they were aggressive, and it was like every cast, another fish, another fish, another fish. We kept some. We released most of what we caught that day, but we just had a lot of fun. It was a day of fishing that I would never forget. And when I come to a passage like this in Scripture, I think that that is true of the disciples too, that this was a day of fishing that they would never forget. And not just because of the miraculous catch, but because of the call of God on their life. It was the day that Jesus called them to be fishers of men. Now Luke gives us the setting here as we begin. And he tells us that this took place on the lake of Gennesaret. That's just an older name for the Sea of Galilee. And he starts out and he just says one day. An ordinary day. It started out like any other for these fishermen. They were just going about their work. They had come in from a night of fishing. They were there in the morning. They are taking care of their nets. But something special was going to happen that day. And Jesus is standing by the lake, and crowds of people began to gather around him. He's going to teach. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a beautiful body of water It is surrounded by hills and valleys. You can see a picture of it here. When you look across from the west looking toward the east, you'll see the Golan Heights on the other side. But you'll see these areas that are just rich, agricultural areas with orchards and crops that are planted. And then, uh, especially on the northern part of the lake, are all these little villages, these cities that are there. Today, Tiberias, but Capernaum and Chorazin and these others that go around the lake. And uh, the lake itself, it's about 700 feet below sea level. It is uh, called a sea, but it really is more like a lake in size. It's seven miles wide and 13 miles long. By comparison, Mille Lacs Lake is about three times larger in terms of surface area of the lake. But just like Mille Lacs, it is a great fishing lake. You can go there and you can still uh, eat the same fish that Peter and Andrew and James and John would have caught. It's called St. Peter's fish today. Uh, And you can go to a restaurant there and enjoy some fish and see that lake and see where these miracles took place. So here's Jesus. He's teaching the crowds of people that have come to hear him. And there are so many people that have gathered around that he asks Simon if he can use his boat to go on out onto the water. And there he sits down and using the water like a natural amphitheater, he speaks to the crowds that have come that day. What's interesting is Luke doesn't tell us anything about what he taught that day. His focus is on this catch of fish and what will follow as well. And this is where the story gets interesting. When Jesus makes this divine request. And we see that in verses 4 and 5. Now let me tell you a little bit about fishing on the Sea of Galilee. The best time to fish on the Sea of Galilee is at night. I mean, that's what Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John had done. And these are the guys who are the professional fishermen. I mean, they know how to catch fish on the Sea of Galilee. This has been their career. They know when, they know where. You know, they're like those fishermen who know that in any given lake, 100% of the fish are in about 10% of the water. And you just need to find which 10% that is. And so they were out there that night, but they didn't have any success. And at dawn, they came back to shore. And when they would come back to shore, they would take care of any fish if they had caught them. And then they would lay out their nets to dry. And when those nets were being laid out to dry, they'd also examine them. It says in the text that they were washing them. They're cleaning them up. They're making sure that they're good to go for the next night of fishing. Uh, They're checking. They would mend any tears that were in the lake. And then after they were dry, they'd fold them. Put them back into the boat and go out and do it again. And oh yeah, somewhere during that day, they had to find some time to sleep so that they continue this cycle. So it was probably in the morning that Jesus started to teach while Peter and John and James and the others are working on their nets. And as he taught, the crowds have gathered more and more. And then sometime around midday, we don't know exactly when, Jesus said to Peter, "Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch." Now Peter, you know, he's thinking about this. I mean, I mean, think about what's going on here. Here you have a carpenter's son telling a professional fisherman when and where to catch fish. It's no wonder that Peter protested. And, uh, you know, he explained that we had tried this last night, didn't catch anything, but to his credit, he obeys. Peter had doubts, but he chose to obey. And why did he obey? Well, it was because he had learned enough about Jesus to believe that he was trustworthy. He had heard him teach. He had seen his miracles already. It had been several months that they had been Watching and spending time with Jesus. And so he chose that day to obey. Now, let me ask you the question What if Peter had refused to obey? What if he had just said, I'm sorry, Jesus. this doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do this. We were out there all night. I'm just not going to do this. And what if he did not obey? You know, sometimes we think of the consequence of sin as being punishment, and it can be, and it is. But also the consequence of sin or disobedience is we miss out on the blessings that God wants to bring. And we just, we just don't know what he might want to do in our life if we would choose to obey, and we're not going to know until we step out in faith, There's a man named Gary Hogan who founded the International Justice Mission. It's a Christian organization that frees people who are caught in sex trafficking. And he described God's calling to him to start IJM. He said, I vividly remember when I finally had to make a decision to abandon my career at the U.S. Department of Justice to become the first employee of a not-for-profit organization that didn't actually exist, called the International Justice Mission. I had worked for three years with friends on the idea of IJM, and I was very excited, in theory, about this dream of following Jesus in the work of justice in the world. But then I had to actually act. And so I walked into the Department of Justice to turn in my badge and I tried to be very brave and very safe. That is to say, I walked in and asked my boss for a year-long leave of absence and my boss politely declined. I was suddenly feeling very nervous. What was I really afraid of? And as I thought about it, I feared humiliation. My little idea of a justice ministry I mean, if this didn't work, I was going to feel humiliated. I mean, the truth is, if this didn't work, no one was going to die. And if it turned out to be a bad idea and collapse, my kids weren't going to starve. We'd probably just have to live with my parents for a while while I got another job. But the fact is, I would be terribly embarrassed. Having told everybody about my great idea, they would know that either it was a bad idea or I was a bad leader. And either way, it would be humiliating. So there I was. Here's this boundary of fear. I know what God's calling me to do. There is this fear of failure that is keeping me from doing it. But the more he prayed about it, and since God's call, he came to that point where he said, you know, I don't want to stand before the Lord someday and say to him that I was afraid of taking this step of faith because I was embarrassed. And so he stepped out, and he trusted God. And today, IJM has a staff of more than 750 lawyers and professionals who are working together, and they have rescued more than 28,000 people from sex trafficking, violence, and abuse. What if he had refused to obey? There's 28,000 people who are very glad that he didn't. You know, often God asks us to do things that are uncomfortable and that will stretch our faith and there's no guarantee of success. There's only a promise that I will be with you. And maybe today you're working or thinking about working with our children's ministry and that thought scares you a little bit or maybe you're real excited to do it. Both are often true. Or maybe it's working with students or middle schoolers. Or maybe it's working with our adults. Or maybe it's sharing Christ with your neighbor. Or maybe it's taking that step of faith to tithe on your income. I mean, whatever it is, there are things that sometimes we are tentative. And we wonder, can I really trust God if I do this? If we refuse to obey, we will never see god work we'll never experience his blessings his provision and his answers to prayer and so here's peter he takes this step of faith and what happens as a result there is this divine catch this miraculous catch of fish that we read about in verses six and seven when peter and andrew had let down their nets they caught so many fish that their nets began to break I mean, so they signaled to their partners, James and John, to come and help. And they filled both boats so full that they were beginning to sink. I mean, in those days, what they would do with fishing, they'd use these drag nets that could be about 100 feet in length. They would set them out in the water. They would put them in a semicircle. And then they would close that in. And they would haul those nets up into the boat. It was hard physical labor and so they're doing this only this time they are filled with fish. A fishing boat in those days was about seven and a half feet wide and about 27 feet long. Can you imagine that's a lot of fish. that's tons of fish and here it is in the middle of the day with crowds standing on the shore and they're watching this and looking at what those guys are doing out there and they're probably thinking, I've never seen this before. That's amazing. And they filled those boats so full that they were about to sink. I mean, they had more than enough. And they made their way back to shore. What are they thinking? Well, on one side, I bet they're thinking, best day fishing ever. I mean, we've never had a day like this. We are going to eat well tonight. But they also knew that this was a miracle from God. You know, I'm studying this and you know that email I shared about Norm's trip to Kenya and using his gifts to share the gospel? Four weeks doing multiple shows using his skills as an illusionist and then Pastor Peter preaching. And ten thousand people got saved? I mean that's a miracle. That's that's amazing. What if Norm hadn't gone? What if he hadn't stepped out in faith? He was part of that plan of what God was going to do to bring people into a relationship with his son. And what you have here that follows then is this divine call in verses 8 to 11. And you look at that and you see Peter's response here. And Peter's response goes from joy and amazement to fear. And he says to Jesus, he falls at his knees, and he says to him, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. If you notice, the way that he addresses Jesus changes in this text. Earlier, when Jesus had asked them to put down the nets, Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night. Sir, we've worked hard all night. And he explains why he doesn't think it's a good idea, but he'll go ahead and do it. But after the miraculous catch of fish, he turns to Jesus and he calls him Lord. He has seen the power of God at work. And when Peter says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. In Peter's mind, what he is thinking is that God can't use sinful people. He doesn't know my heart. I I am a sinner. I am disqualified from serving. I'm not worthy to have Jesus in my boat, let alone follow him or serve him. It's like Isaiah when he had his vision of the Lord and he said, woe is me for I am undone. When we see the holiness of God and we understand that that holy God is calling us into a relationship with himself, we become aware of our sin. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that God couldn't use me because of what I've done or the things in my past? It is a lie from the enemy. It is true that if we continue in unrepentant sin, if we continue to live in our sin and have no desire to follow Jesus, that God cannot use us. But what Peter didn't realize is that Peter's humility and his confession of sin were the very things that qualified him to serve. God is in the business Of taking broken lives and healing them. And he uses ordinary people to accomplish his work in the world. God is looking for people who are humble, who are teachable, and obedient. Ron Dunn, who was a pastor when I was young, put it like this. He said, when we think we are qualified, we aren't. And when we think we aren't qualified, we are. It's interesting. It's those who are humble in heart, who admit their sin, who turn to Jesus and realize how desperately we need him that are the ones that God can use. And so Jesus says to Peter, Peter, from now on you will catch men. And what Peter saw that day is that Jesus isn't just the Lord of our life. He's the Lord of our work. He's not just the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of every day of the week. And he's the one who has the right to command us, to direct us, and to lead us. And this calling to catch men, well, that's something that is for all of us. And it's really interesting how this reads. I mean, it literally reads that from now on, you will catch men alive. I mean, talk about the ultimate catch and release, you know? Bringing people to Christ and releasing them into the freedom to follow Jesus. Peter, this miracle that you saw today isn't about fish. It's about people. And this is what I'm going to do in your life if you will follow me. And Peter would see that. On the day of Pentecost when he spoke, how many were saved? Three thousand. And then in the next chapter we read about Peter speaking and teaching and preaching again and 5000 are saved. I mean what God did here with an uncountable number of fish he would now do through Peter and the other apostles as they went out and preached the good news of the kingdom. And God wants to use you and me to be fishers of men as well. You know and I think about my first taste of that. I go back to those years at, with Campus Crusade when we were students at Moorhead State. And God changed my heart. He changed my life. That's when he called me into ministry. That's when I got a taste of what this was like. And I remember so clearly one of the first outreaches that we were going to have as students here was we had reserved space in the Comstock Memorial Union in this big open area, very public, you know, in the union where we had lined up to have a speaker. We were going to have music. We were going to have testimonies. We were going to share the gospel. And it came to that night when we were setting up Everything on the stage for this, and the manager of the student union came and he said, I'm sorry, but you can't meet here tonight. What do you mean? We had everything approved. I'm sorry, you can't meet here tonight in this public place. You have to do this somewhere else. And I went up to the room where some of our student leaders were meeting and I asked them to pray. I told them what was going on. I said, Pray that God will change his heart. And I said, I'm going to go down and I'm going to talk with him in his office and you pray and I'll go and we'll see what happens. And when I went down, God did a miracle in his heart. I mean, he just, he just changed his attitude where he said he still wasn't excited about this meeting taking place. I don't know where he stood with the Lord, but he said, okay, you guys can have your meeting. I just won't be there. I'll kind of look the other way and let you guys go ahead with it. And that night we had 300 students come and over 30 gave their lives to Christ. And I was thrilled. I mean, I just was so excited. I mean, that seems small in comparison to maybe larger outreaches. But for me, it was like that first time of seeing God so clearly work and answering prayer and bringing people to Christ and changing lives. And I felt like how the disciples felt in Luke 10 after they had been sent out two by two and they come back and they tell Jesus what they had seen God do. And Jesus rejoices with them. I had a taste of ministry that would never leave. And when we think about this passage, Jesus doesn't call everyone to leave their vocation, but he does call each of us to catch men. And for most of you, the best place for you to go fishing is going to be at your work, or it's going to be in your neighborhood where you live. It's going to be those relationships that you have. For those who are students, it's going to be in that school setting. As you begin to build relationships with others, God is going to use you to be a witness for Christ, if you are open to that. For some of you, the place where God has called you to serve is also through our ministries at church, through Awana, Vacation Bible School, Student Ministry, Mission Trips those opportunities to go and serve and share the gospel. And when I think about fishermen in this analogy, why is it that fishermen will go to great lengths to catch fish, but sometimes God's people are hesitant to even walk across the street to meet their neighbor? It shouldn't be that way. I mean, we have the best news of all to share with the world. We have the news that can give hope and life and light. It can change hearts. It can rescue those that are caught in change and set them free. Sharing the gospel effectively is a skill that every believer can learn. It starts with prayer. I mean, praying for the lost, that's something all of us can do. It involves our personal testimony, telling the story of how God has worked in our life. How did he save you? It means we need to understand the gospel, but that's as simple as John 3:16 that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There are times as we share the gospel we're going to run into questions. That's why we do things like the apologetics conference that we have coming up to help you to ground you in your faith and be able to answer questions. Sharing our faith requires boldness. And even the Apostle Paul asked for that. He asked that they would pray for him, that the churches and Ephesians and Colossians would pray for him, that he might fearlessly proclaim the gospel, and that he would make it clear. And all of this we can't do in our own strength. We can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1-8, The scripture says, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you're to take that gospel, starting right where you live in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and take it to the ends of the world. Are you in? (laughs) This is a call for all of us to do. And I am so grateful for each of you that are involved in sharing your faith already and making that good news known And if these are things that you feel like, boy, I need to grow in or I need to take that step of faith, talk with us. We want to encourage you and we want to help you to do that. Let's pray. Father, how awesome you are. And what a privilege it is to be involved in your work of the kingdom. Through our prayers, through our support of missionaries who you called out and other ministries that are working in our communities and the surrounding area. Thank you for the partnerships we have with other churches and with Bible translation projects and pastoral training and equipping believers to share their faith. Father, would you also use us to bear much fruit. I pray, Lord, that even this week our eyes would be open to see the needs of the people around us and that we would take that step of faith to initiate a conversation, a relationship, to share Christ with a friend. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.